right within the moment, moment. And don't go wait until the morning, morning. You never know when it is over, over. All that I know is we'll get older, older. So let us dance this night away. Hello! Welcome to our podcast, Ready, Set, Squirrel, where ADHD, hilarity, and awareness collide. I'm your wife host, Bree. And I'm your husband host, Brian. We're here to take you on a tour of our ADHD life, the good, the bad, and the extremely messy. We're not experts, just two people living life with ADHD, spreading awareness, laughter, and reminding you that you are never alone. And here's number two. It's official now. I mean, it was official last time, but like it's not really <laughs> official until there's more than one of them, right? When you have ADHD, <laughs> you never know if there's going to be a second episode. The dopamine is still here. Yeah. We'll keep doing it as long as it keeps coming Kinda. back. I mean, the kids drain the dopamine. Yeah. They're in bed now. So. It's 11 o'clock. We finally yeah. got everybody to bed. Yeah, and I'm grumpy because I sat around all evening waiting for my kids to go to bed because they get late nights on the weekends. It's Friday night right now. And all night, I'm sitting here thinking about a Pop-Tart. And I'm like, man, I want this Pop-Tart. And I go into the cabinet to get it. My preteen has eaten all of the Pop-Tarts and left an empty box in the cabinet. In and fairness, so, though, when did we buy those? Like a couple weeks ago. Well, exactly. You can't expect a box of Pop-Tarts to hang around Well, more than like four days. I mean, leave one. Or for, don't leave an empty box in there. Well, Gosh, yeah. darn it. Anyway. So what are we doing today? Story for the night. Well, you're going to introduce yourself. Yeah. So I'm not sure how to start the conversation. Tell us a little bit about... Well, just tell us about you, who you are, what you do, and then we'll start uh, jumping into the fun stuff. Okay. As you heard on the last episode, if you haven't heard that one yet, go back. I'm 39-year-old dad of three, been married to Bree for 16 years. I do tech work, computer stuff, computer repair, tech support, that sort of stuff. That's been my my main interest since as long as I can remember anything computer-related. And uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's uh let's jump into the the stuff that everybody's here for then, our our ADHD shenanigans. Why don't you tell us about how and when you were diagnosed and maybe some of the ways that as a male it impacts you. Yeah, well, in adulthood I'd been recently or well I mean really through the pandemic that was really where it started coming up to I need to do something because I think with having three kids at that point and just having trouble juggling everything, I was like, I'm not succeeding doing pretty much anything that I want to and always just had struggles with prioritizing things and getting things done. But just, you were diagnosed. I don't have a whole lot of memory of that, if that makes sense. I mostly remember how I experienced things or did things that seemed abnormal like having trouble with impulse control like there was a story of when I was I believe in I want to say something like second grade definitely elementary school second or third grade where you know I was in the back of the room in the cubbies and gathering my backpack or putting my backpack away or something and oh I found a marker on the ground and I was like oh I wonder if this marker works and so I opened it up and I started pressing it on the the head like one of those baseboard heaters up against the wall and I'm like just trying to get it working and next thing I know I'm in the principal's office because I guess it didn't cross my mind that I shouldn't have been drawing on the wall or on the heater. And I remember being very confused in that situation. Like, oh, I got a 
in trouble for this. And I guess just also throughout school, having trouble with deadlines every year, I remember the feeling of like, all right, I'm going to get like, I'm going to get going good. I'm going to have all my ducks in a row. I'm going to have, you know, especially as you get into older grades where the teachers tell you at the beginning of the semester, like I remember in middle school every year they gave us a planner and that was always very aspirational, I guess. (laughs) You know, you start, you feel really good. You're like, okay, clean slate, new year, new me, let's go. And inevitably every single time I wait till the last minute to do anything. (laughs) I remember the science fair project. That's a common thing for everybody every year. You got your trifold board, you come up with some sort of experiment, execute that and, you know, write it up. And of course, that's something that you're preparing for for weeks in advance, or at least have the opportunity to begin (laughs) making those things. And I remember one particular year, I put it off and put it off literally till like the evening before, like, you know, not even just came home from school and started working on it. It's, oh, yeah, it's coming up bedtime. I got to do that science project. (laughs) I wonder what experiment I should do. I hadn't even thought that far ahead. And I definitely did some sort of comparison about how fast ice melts under certain conditions, (laughs) because... That's what was available to me at the time. I had the freezer and I had a stopwatch and I half-assed together some sort of experience. I don't remember getting a great grade on that one. (laughs) But another thing that I did experience is that just like kind of in general, grades-wise, I was always really comfortable in school. I always got really good grades without having to try super hard. Or that's my impression of it as I remember it. Yeah, just the the late work and the the last minute stuff yeah, yeah in, my, in my homeschooling or I, I was homeschooled so my school and was I was public school throughout yeah so for me you know it was a lot easier to kind of miss those like now as an adult looking back I can recall that you know I would have times where I would power through 15 math lessons just the hyper focus engage and you know getting it out of the way and, and knock it out because that's something you can do when you're homeschooled got your, working, your lessons working ahead. working ahead and working back not super stringent deadlines not a whole yeah. ton of test studying that a lot kind more of thing. flexibility so, yeah it really wasn't for me until i got into college that those things started showing up and i definitely had the yeah i've got that 30 page semester long project due tomorrow and yep. many an essay all have- night long to to throw something together and somehow getting a good grade on it but regardless just that that last second mentality and you know and I didn't I didn't last college I didn't get through it I didn't end up going back after two years and um, a lot of that was just feeling like I, I couldn't excel I couldn't study I couldn't focus on anything that I wasn't interested in I, I didn't understand how it came so easily that people would be like I'm gonna go study and I'm like what is that yeah how do you do that I, I was gonna mention like you you mentioned studying for tests and things like that and that is something I have always struggled with just the idea of studying in general has never been yeah something like, that I I've learn organically yeah I I learn to take pretty extensive notes that helped me. And, you know, as I'm looking back, I'm thinking that's more, you know, it may be a bit of a coping mechanism or a skill that I learned to accommodate my lack of attention or things like that. I got fairly good at taking notes. And of course, you're always told that the act of writing something down helps you to internalize it. And I believe that's true. So most of what I would do, I mean, I learned it when I was writing it down when I was in class. You learned it when you learned it. 
Yeah, I wasn't going to go back and learn something generally speaking. And that's very common too. I mean, that's the attention to detail part of ADHD. Like for me, that was always kind of a struggle at work, going back and reviewing anything that you've already completed and going back and redoing something. You're like, yeah, no, like that's not fun for me anymore. I'm not not into this. And so instead of being able to force yourself to do that, it just like I can stare at this single page all day. I'm not going to retain very Anything. often I, I had the basic feeling I either know this or I don't know it. I'm not going to learn it now. At least that was my impression of myself or of my knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So hop back to pandemic times yeah. and how that started manifesting for you. Because I, I do remember, I recall that that was kind of around, or that was the time that I noticed that you had gone back to see the doctor and had gotten a prescription yeah. again. Again, the timing is a little fuzzy for me, but lockdown happens, what, somewhere around April, May, something like that for us where we lived. So we end up at home. Our littlest was born at the end of July, and we got a text actually when she was born. Her biological mom, who was also our middle child's biological mom, had asked about if we would be willing to adopt the newest one. We had talked about that possibility as a hypothetical. Our position at that point was if we have, if there's any chance that we have an ability to do that and keep siblings together, if at all possible. Fast forwarding again back to July of 2020, we're faced with that decision in real life. It was also a very time pressing decision. I needed, yeah, I literally got on the next available plane flew from Alaska to Arizona. I'm at baby number three at the hospital with minutes to spare to avoid her entering into foster care, which would have been extremely difficult for us at that point to get her out of. And yeah, yeah, so that was a very harried experience. And you were solo. Yeah. I, I had to stay home with the other two. We didn't have the ability to travel with the whole family on that late of notice. So. Yeah. Well, not only on that late notice. I mean, that was the height of the pandemic. Yeah. And well, and honestly, and that was the only reason that we were able to obtain a home study at that time, if you remember, because it was the very beginning of changed. when the world kind of began changing to, oh, we're going to have to do some stuff not face to face anymore. So that was actually very fortunate for us. And because in that of way. where we lived in rural. Alaska, we didn't have any social workers who lived in the community. So everybody had to fly in and and normally it was a very time consuming process. But because and also of the a, pandemic, a very relatively small number of available people yeah, I think for like the whole state. Two yeah, or something. So, I mean, it, and not, she was uh, the, the same one that did our first home study, mm-hmm. so she knew us that and, a, and she was able to just kinda like, you know, we were able to be like, yep, we still live here. Here's our little uh, video tour of our home. Here's an updated interview, whatever. And so she was able to crank that out for us, thankfully, just so that we could be eligible to adopt again, because it, it like it wasn't on our radar until that day. It was crazy times. So all of this to say that was a really big time for a lot of new tasks and uh, just a lot more juggling and previous when we adopted our Two second child. Kids is- yeah, when we adopted our second child, our oldest was old enough to be in school and I I quit my full-time job and was full-time primary caregiver for the kids. You stayed at your job. At the time, you happened to be making more money than I was, but I also still have the side business of computer repair and tech support. I can still make money in this way. That can still be my side gig. The parenting and the child rearing and all that stuff is going to be my primary gig. And so that's what I did. When you've got one child in school and just one baby, that's a very different thing than being in the middle of a pandemic where nobody can go anywhere and you are you have three kids with a 
a wide range of ages and it was just a lot more stuff to do a lot more stuff to juggle and I remember we would have conflicts about what I wasn't getting done things that were falling through the cracks or just feeling not as successful at home as I wanted to be I remember describing trying to help you understand what it looks like when I know I've got stuff to do and I I just you know described as just like a list or I don't know if you've ever seen videos of air traffic controllers they have these little rectangular pieces of acrylic plastic and those represent different planes that are in a given controller's airspace and they're constantly moving them around stacking little things in these queues and at any given point I could say you know I know I've got these different priorities I only have so much energy or so much ability to execute on these things and you know that's like a red line that kind of moves up and down and sometimes stuff is above the red line and it gets done sometimes stuff is below sometimes that's stuff that's below the red line still needs to get done and it never makes it above the line well and reflecting back now I mean, at the time, knowing that I have ADHD now and knowing that so many of those things that you were not getting done that were sources of conflict for us were actually triggering my symptoms as well. And so it was just kind of this constant feeding back and forth for a five person family living in like a two and kind of kind of a half bedroom house, one bathroom. You know, there's a lot of stuff in a small place. And Brian is a naturally clutter bug. And I've always said I organize in piles. Yeah, (laughs) which is is very normal for ADHD. But I am, and I do that to an extent too, but I am also the kind of ADHD that becomes very overstimulated by visual clutter. It overwhelms me to the point of rage you know well, and so at the like time a- you were diagnosed with anxiety which mm-hmm. we kind of talked about a little bit last week you know so you're trying to communicate that to me as like this is a specific trigger for my anxiety it's it's and- like not even being able to to walk into the door and like set down groceries because every surface is just completely covered yeah, with stuff and it was just so overwhelming and, fr- and then you've got kids coming at you and running and grabbing your legs and I can't even figure out where to put my stuff down and it's so it was just like every day walking into this overwhelming chaos. And so again, now in hindsight, being 2020, it's like I understand why that was. And, you know, that's significantly reduced now. You know, even when our house is messy, it's much bigger. We have a we have a larger house now. It's a large reason why we moved from Alaska to Virginia, because we were outgrowing our house and couldn't afford a bigger one where we were. And so, yeah, now we have a larger house. And we're careful about how much we bring into it. We try to be you know one thing that I know can be helpful when it comes to organizing and things like that is having a place for everything so at least when you do have the energy to actually execute on cleaning something up or tidying something up it has a place to go yeah in the old house it was even if it's not organized it's at least out of sight (laughs) right at the old house we just I, I think it truly became and you don't realize it as it's happening but we just literally had too much stuff and too many people in the space. And so it's not, it's very difficult because there's not a place to put everything. And that's why everything is constantly in flux or constantly pending for uh, getting done. Neurodivergent children as well, you know, knowing now lots of sleep issues, lots of, I mean, there was a a period of two years where we almost didn't sleep. Yeah. The little one did not sleep for more than 45 minutes at a time. Generally, we got an hour, hour and a half out of her. That would feel like a luxury. And, And I'm talking literally 24 
four hours a day around the clock. So you're just exacerbating all of these symptoms. So it's neither like of us are sleeping. You've got a full-time job. You know, we're all stuck in the house together. And our middle one also has sleeping issues and wasn't letting our oldest sleep. So there and they was had to share a room there. And then they were everybody in this tiny little space during the pandemic. And it was just, it was a lot. It was so, a lot. So around all of that, it it's coming to a head where I'm just really feeling unsuccessful. I can see how frustrated you are. I can feel how I feel. I'm just feeling like a failure all the time. This is not, you know, I'm not doing what I should do. I'm not, you know, I'm not making you happy. I'm not making feeling like I'm getting stuff done. And so I did finally go to the doctor and, and say, you know, I got to have, I got to do something. I don't know what to do. You know, I need some sort of medication to help me think or whatever. So she, the doctor that I spoke with, and again, due to our, our limited access to care, we didn't have full mental health care in our community. But the doctor that I spoke with was able to prescribe me some sertraline, which is not a stimulant. And well, that's what I was on for years for my depression, anxiety, which we now know was ADHD. Yeah, but I don't remember that really doing much. The Didn't only thing, yeah, the the only thing it did was it made sex hard because just like affected my sex drive or or my ability to engage in sex and so it wasn't too long before I was like it's making my life worse and it's not solving the problems and so I gave up on that after a while and then again it's so hard to go back to try again and figure out something else right that's the pattern that you know I hear you talking about and all the people that you're talking to and who are engaging with you like just the whole process is really hard and frustrating and so it was a while again before I kind of reached that point again where this is something's got to happen I got to do something so I finally made the call the doctor who I uh, had worked with before she had actually left the practice and they moved and so I started with another doctor there and and he was able to well it was actually part of what's really cool about what you slash we are doing with ready set squirrel because it wasn't the doctors who came or who said oh you should really try this it was a friend of ours who uh, has ADHD herself and was being medicated with Adderall at the time, she's like, yeah, you need to be on Adderall. Or at the very least, she was like, I'm on Adderall. This is, it's a lifeline for me. And I asked him about it. And he, he started me on the- Five milligrams. Yeah, I like say the, the tiniest dose possible, I think, recommend. And obviously, every time we get into medical stuff, we'll- really make it clear neither one of us are medical professionals never have been never will be but my understanding was that the recommended starting dose for an adult is somewhere around 20 milligrams a day or something like that and he started me on five i was it was basically like nothing yeah i was a little bit annoyed at that but you know it's hard to go through the process of having the conversation or making the appointment, especially when getting appointments and getting care and things like that is difficult due to the pandemic and to for, for them to hand you something that you can already know is this isn't going to do anything. And I've got to like still let it not do anything for me for a few weeks before he'll maybe try to bump me up a little bit. Anyway, I didn't experience what you did, which was a really significant life changing. I don't know, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like when you first started taking Adderall, it seemed to really make a big difference in your daily life well, very for quickly. Me, I felt like I had the ability to think for the first time and, and God knows how long it was the first time that I felt like I could make a decision piece of thought together to just have the capacity to function and and for me also the exhaustion was such a huge part of that like I spent a decade of my life 
chronically exhausted every day. The Adderall for me helped significantly with my energy level. And I think that could just be due to the the mental fatigue of working so hard to put those thoughts together and to make those decisions and all of that mental overload that is leading to that feeling of just feeling so tired all the time. And so for me, just physically feeling better. Like I could get through my day without just thinking 24 seven, like, oh my gosh, I just need to sleep right now. That's all I need to do is just sleep. You know, it's easy to connect energy expended with physical activity, whether it be Mm -hmm. exercise or just uh, a demanding physical job or things like that. You expect to feel tired from that but it's but I was at a job where I was making a lot of decisions mm-hmm. every day. I was running an entire department of eight different employees, you know, multiple different departments making big decisions for, for right. people and, and doing a lot of advocacy work and things like that. So there's a lot for me with ADHD of just having to overcompensate to perform in the workplace mm-hmm. all day. It was just, I was completely done. Well, and know? the way that I sort of kind of internalize that is spending time driving is, and out of the two of us, I'm, I'm the one that drives the most. On a long drive, you're sitting. You're sitting still. You're not expending physical energy in that way. But after two, three, four hours of driving, as the driver, you get out of the car and you feel tired. You feel exhausted because you are on alert. You're making decisions and you're paying attention at a higher degree that whole time. And and that's just all that mental energy and it still drains you. Mm -hmm. So back to the medication, I, I think I'm up in my head about it a lot of the time because it's, for me, it's, I'd check in with the doctor and he'd be like, you know, is that working for you? And, you know, I I would say yes, but it's also hard. It was hard for me to know, and maybe it was a dosage issue, to know this is actually successful. Or, you know, I could say, well, maybe this is, yeah, I think it's, I think it's helping. It's working a little bit better, but it doesn't solve all the problems. Um, no, no, absolutely not. It just... And- so and Helps. another problem for me right now presently this is I'm still on this journey because right now I'm not medicated simply because after moving states and not having access to that previous doctor my prescription ran out and I couldn't get more from him and I haven't taken the steps necessary to jump through all those hoops here to make it happen for me and so you know that's something that I need to do I want to do and it's just I haven't made it happen yet. And so in life day to day right now, like what are some coping mechanisms that you use to to kind of get through your days? A lot of phone, probably too much phone, Um, you know, just kind of escaping into reels. And it's very easy to grab that and get those dopamine hits. Well, and you're a headphone guy. That's Both the of other us thing. are 24-7 I've headphones. Pretty much most of every day I've got an AirPod in or, or I've got Raycon sponsorships are available. Email hello at readysetsquirrel.com. I'll wear any kind of headphone you to want me to. all those Raycon employees uh, listening to us, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, they do podcast ads. Anyway, constantly having some sort of content coming to me. You know, I listen to tech podcasts all the time. I have been listening to a lot of Mormon Stories podcasts, and those are super long-form interviews interviews three hours at a pop or more. So I've always got something that I'm listening to, something that's interesting to me that can kind of help me to have something interesting 
throughout the day. I feel guilty about that. I think there's a lot just in general of guilt and shame and just not feeling like I'm doing what I should be, but I'm just doing it anyway. I think that's something that is a pretty consistent pattern for me in my life, knowing that I should be making different decisions, but I don't always do that. So that's still an ongoing thing. Um, Just getting that escape and things like that. But, you know, having more time or having time right now to get stuff done is, I don't know, I'm running out of... That's fine (laughs) yeah so how am i coping with it still probably not great that's how that's how i feel in general i'm able to get the the basics done everybody between the two of us you know everybody has clothes to wear and everybody eats and yeah but it's still still tough you know there's big things that still need to get done with (laughs) there's a whole bunch of paperwork that i need to do to take care of birth certificate still related to our most recent adoption and there's that's a something that's looming and has been for years well and 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 we've gone through the process so many times that it's like hard to get the motivation up to do it again because you just get bounced around back and forth between people who don't know what they're talking about and dealing with different states and yeah and so kind of having the mental capacity to willingly go back into that process is tough why don't you talk about how it impacts your relationships with other people hmm Maybe actually as an observer, you can maybe suggest some things because the, I, I just know the that, question like, doesn't immediately make me think of like, oh, yeah, ADHD affects my relationships in these specific ways. Um, see, it, it, that's funny because I see it affecting relationships like significantly. For me or for you? I want to say both of us. Well, probably. Yeah. So what are you, what are you um, thinking of? I know for you, the out of sight, out of mind, you oh, forget yeah. forgetting to talk to people. That's and true. The, the guilt and Okay, thanks for along. the prompt. I'll take that from there and say that I definitely have a hard time keeping in touch with people or reaching out, remembering things like birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. I mean, I remember when I was away in college, I forgot one or both of my parents' birthdays probably almost every year. I definitely multiple years in a row where, you know, I forgot to give a call to my dad on his birthday. Yeah. And, and, and some that families, makes you really, that kind of stuff's really important. Yeah. And it makes you feel really bad. And that makes you that makes it hard to reach out again, right? Because, well, obviously they're disappointed in me. Uh, and, you know, this is my internal dialogue. I'm sh- I, it may also be true as well, but at least internally, I'm like, it's another example of me being disappointing, me missing the mark. So reconnecting with someone after something like that is hard. You know, the longer you go without making a call, the harder it is to make that call. And that's... I tend to find that I, now knowing that almost all of the close relationships that I have and have had in my life that have had any sort of, you know, sustaining nature have almost been exclusively other neurodivergent people or at least suspecting neurodivergent. And it's interesting because those are the people who are battling the same thing. So you can kind of like drop off the radar for six months at a time and then pop back into each other's inboxes like no time has passed and that's just completely normal and almost a relief for both of you You're like oh thank god you know they're not mad or shaming me or guilting me over this because they did the same thing yeah and it, it's challenging too because like for me the amount of attention that i have to give to anything 
in a given day is so limited right. that when I'm highly motivated or invested in a certain thing or a certain project or a certain you know work thing, it's like once your focus is on that, it's really hard to divert that just to have casual conversation with somebody. Yeah. Because it's like my brain is in it, it is on, and like any distraction from that is really challenging for me to snap out of and snap back into. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is I kind of drop off the radar for certain periods of mm-hmm. time and you know it's like you almost go ghost or you go dark and keeping in touch like, with people is one of those things that it's very difficult to get it above that red line like I was talking about before if you've got that list of priorities it can be hard to remember to grab one of those things from down below and, and bring it up and so it just gets put off more and more and it's self-perpetuating because again the longer it goes the, mm-hmm. the harder it is to make but that I, step I really find with my um, my other neurodivergent friends that when I'm scrolling or when I'm in that mindset of like, I'm not really doing much with my time right now and I'll see something that reminds me of them and it's kind of that open gateway to, oh, I'm going to send them this and then, you know, and then naturally conversation happens out of that. And it could be a month later, it could be six months later, it could be a year later. I mean, I just reconnected with somebody that I was BFFs with a decade ago. She kind of left social media for, well, almost entirely. Um, She has a little bit of Instagram, nothing kind of posted on there, but just kind of gets on there occasionally. And so we we kind of reconnected through that. But it was almost like the method of communication that I was accustomed to with her was taken away. And it was like, I didn't have the capacity to figure out how to communicate with her in another form. And then it was just like, it went so long that it's like off the radar. And then we hadn't talked for ages until, until I got more active on Instagram because that's where she was and then it was like oh you're here and I didn't even realize that she was there and now you know it's like we engage and talk and actually she might even uh, join us here on our podcast at at some point and yeah so I mean that was you know just another example of somebody who was literally daily part of my life for years and years and years all day every day chatting but then you know life happens I was pre-kids we both had our, our kids very closely together. I want to say like two weeks apart, her son and, and our daughter are. And so, you know, we went through the pregnancies together and, right. and all of that. But then life happens and, you know, and then you have that that shame of, oh, I've let this bad, go too long. You know, now how do I possibly reach back out without this being entirely too awkward or without having more shame put well, on also, me? Also, you're like... You also have the thing of like, well, she hasn't reached out either. Maybe she's fine with this situation. Yeah. Or maybe, she, you know, I don't want to bother it's her. Or, well, know. I don't I don't imagine you can speak for yourself, but I, I never got the impression with this particular friend that you're oh, talking no, about. Oh, no, no, no. There was no falling out. I'm or not any, saying know. with her specifically. But now it's like knowing that and being able to identify all those people whose brains work the way that mine do. Like, I know those people or I know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I know that our buddy who you were referring to earlier who had kind of turned you on of the ADHD medication like I hadn't talked to her since we moved Mm -hmm. and you know I talked to her all the time when we were back in Cordova and you know it was just like I randomly remembered like oh she's in my phone I can text her and I just had some funny thought that came across my brain that made me think of her and texted her and you know got into chatting and you know it'll probably be another six months before we (laughs) engage again but that's just how our relationship works and that's how and she's fine with it and I'm fine with it and that's just how we go on (laughs) are there any other ways just thinking back to the question about how it's affected relationships any other ways that you can think of from your perspective 
that my relationships have been affected. Well, I would say that probably ours definitely has oh, well, been affected. Sure. But I mean, that's just kind of the nature of being married. You know, you're you're in each other's flaws all day, every day. Right. And I say flaws loosely now, understanding that it is not it's not something that can be controlled. But I so I guess perceived flaws, you know. Yeah, I will say that, like achieving or attempting to achieve this level of unattainable perfection and not understanding why you can't get there and and just being like well if i just try harder if he just tries harder then eventually maybe we can get our shit together but so far that hasn't happened we haven't gotten our shit together but we're we're doing the best we can and and i will say that because adhd and you know awareness of that and and really delving into those symptoms and the way it affects your life is a relatively new thing for you as I'm seeing you really embody that and really dive into that a lot more. You know, it does make me think, I hope that maybe a lot of the things that might have been difficult for you to understand with what's going on in my life and, you know, I'm not lazy, I'm not selfish, I'm not just not doing stuff because I don't feel like it. Like, it is a struggle and it's it's hard to put your finger on that even. Well, and I think because with you specifically, you never really talked about it in adulthood. Yeah. And so it wasn't ever something that and I I think maybe because of the the misinformation surrounding, you know, people outgrow it. Right. You know, it doesn't last into adulthood. And so, you know, you have this this understanding and and I think even you had the understanding of that. And so it was just never a topic. It was never brought up. It right. was never I wasn't something living, that was on my thinking, radar. Like, oh, I've got ADHD and it's not being treated, so that is yeah. part of my problem. That so wasn't on my mind at you all. You have two people essentially who don't know that they have ADHD or that he doesn't know that he has ADHD still and I didn't know until just this year that I had it so you have these two people living together for 16 years who are just having more and more kids and <laughs> adopting more kids more and, and more demands more and more demands and and so the ways that those the coping um, mechanisms can only they can only take get you, so you so far, far. because yeah. the amount of quiet time or alone time that I was able to have prior to kids was completely different. And I noticed those symptoms, you know, the anxiety, the depression symptoms, Mm -hmm. those started after having kids. But it's so easy to mix that up too with like, is it postpartum depression? Is it just, am I just not good at this? Am I just... I even wondered that about myself. I'm like, okay, I know there is... I don't know if it's called postpartum depression in dads as well, but also because our situation was an adoption, you know, there's a couple layers, but I, I definitely was wondering, like, am I experiencing some form of postpartum depression or, or whatever you would call that? Which is why they put you on that. antidepressants. Maybe so, yeah. Just knowing it's not working, I'm not feeling good. I've always been a fairly energetic and positive person finding the silver lining in in pretty much any scenario and that's definitely gotten a lot harder for me and I think a lot of it is quiet time or time to follow those rabbit holes Mm -hmm. and and get immersed in a project simply for the sake of enjoyment yeah whether it be editing music or learning computer stuff or building things or getting really 
geeky with stuff. Yeah. And especially because we don't have much of a community here. Back home, we had a nanny who took the girls for a few days a week for a few hours. And, and even that, yeah, you know, two it was to three time days for, a week for... for you to work. But now even getting a babysitter is difficult because when you have neurodivergent children as well, there is a whole load of other stuff that goes into that of, of needs that they have that it's really, really, really hard for a wide variety of reasons to leave them with anybody else. And there's a... You end up um, leaving and feeling guilty for the babysitter because... Because they know. don't know how to deal with it. Right. And they don't know. Not to mention know. the expense. Yeah. And, and I don't always know how to deal with it. I know how hard it is for me on a day-to-day basis. And then when you throw off the kid's routine, their security and, you know, their comfort, you know, it, it adds a whole other slew of things. You know, we can't just get a babysitter and go out for the night. It's an ordeal. Yeah. So it's just us. It's just us running this show. And um, it is highly demanding. You know, we have three very, very... I don't know if demanding is the right word, but I mean, they it, are the very demanding truth, and, like and very <laughs> high needs kids and, you know, in, in various ways for various reasons, you know, without getting too much into the nitty gritty of, of all of their stuff. Like, you know, I will be real. It is hard hard i get to the end of my days and it is like putting on a suit of armor every morning and when you're with your kids there is a mask that goes on every day because especially meeting the emotional needs when you have emotional needs that are not being met yeah because your emotional needs are i need to be left alone for extended periods of time yeah, because I've been I've been dealing with this meltdown for an hour and my brain is at full capacity but my child is in a state right now where she needs my full attention right. and one all of my of children my one of my children needs a hundred percent of my energy and the other two children each need at least 75 to 80 percent of it and mm-hmm. that math just doesn't matter and I've only got 50 percent of my energy right now and so I, good point I didn't even think of that so I mean it is, it is is constantly you feel like you're constantly working from a deficit and just clawing your way trying to to get by and to meet everybody's needs and we had to have that discussion with our oldest the other night because you know she was having a a rough night and the frustrations of experiencing from her side how neurodivergence of everyone around her and herself yeah and especially her sisters is challenging for her and it's so hard because as a mom and and as a a parent you want to be able to meet every need all the time that they have Mm -hmm. but the reality is is that that is not always going to happen and like sometimes you are just juggling you let one thing go and that thing drops and then you know you're trying to keep this other thing up in the air and then you let that go for a second and that drops and so you're just constantly pulled in so many directions and just trying to do the best that you can and I kind of had to just tell her I am so sorry like I understand these feelings and I understand they are valid and you deserve everything it's really hard to be saying that and to also be saying i am doing the very best that i can and i am trying so hard and i am so sorry for the ways that my shortcomings affect you or i'm sorry for the ways that the different dynamics are impacting you and what i can tell you is that i am trying my best and that I will continue trying my best and I will always listen to what you have to say and I will always be here for you and I will always support you and I will try to do better 
in these ways, but, but at the same I can't time, promise same... you that I'm not going to fail sometimes because I only have a certain amount that I am even capable of. Having a child old enough to describe those problems in a very genuine and emotional way and agreeing with her and saying, yeah, these are problems. You're right. This sucks. This is really hard. This is really frustrating for you. And also, I don't have a solution for that. Yeah. I don't know how to fix that. That feels really crummy as a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, just going back to a recurring theme there are for me, simply just not being good enough, our control. just failing at something that I feel like I should be able to do, mm-hmm. and but just knowing that I'm not. It's so you again, just identifying the problem, but not always the solution. Yeah, that's absolutely. Hard. So on that beautiful, uplifting note, let's hit a break, and okay. then uh, we can come back, and you, you've got some more questions for me. Yeah, cool. Sure, I'll make some up. okay break time this is where we tell you where is the best place to follow us my primary platform right now is instagram at ready set squirrel that's where i do the majority of my interacting everything is is cross-posted to to facebook so you can follow me on there as well and you'll still get all the content are you posting on tiktok right now also i am posting on tiktok tiktok is a little bit uh finicky about the audios that they want to let me use all of the time and it's just i'm not as comfortable with tiktok i'm very new to tiktok so instagram Facebook or also TikTok. Threads, Threads, the new, the new hotness. Yeah, yeah, you. that's another place where I am that you can engage with me. Email hello at readysetsquirrel.com. Oh, yeah. our website. Yeah, readysetsquirrel.com. It's a good central hub for finding everything. Yeah, so we'll have the podcast yeah, we're still kind of getting that up and running in a. Again, it's Ready Set Squirrel everywhere we say. So Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Threads. Just search for Ready Set Squirrel. Follow us there. Give us a comment. Share our content. We love that on the podcast podcast here we really appreciate five star reviews that's because really important six we're, out of five stars we're brand new and and as brie <laughs> said on the last break uh she's the tits and uh, i guess i am too so we deserve that so give us those five stars <laughs> if you have any questions for us or if you want to be a guest on the show shoot us an email hello at readysetsquirrel.com and i think we should get back into the convo and we're back this is Ready, Set, Squirrel, and we are continuing our introduction of Brian and his ADHD journey. All right, here's a fun one. Can you discuss any stigmas that you have encountered regarding ADHD? I don't know necessarily stigma about ADHD itself, but I just remember growing up that certain things that I would do would annoy people you posted a reel the other day of my pin flipping. I'm constantly doing little pin flipping tricks with my fingers. And before I learned how to do that, it was pencil tapping on the desk. And I remember being told that those things were annoying to people and teachers. And even, you know, obviously the the noise makes sense. But even just visually, as I'm sitting at my desk, I, I think I started kind of doing the pin flippy thing around well, I ninth, 10th grade. a lot of people who you have a pin that you're flipping 24-7. And I literally your feel, and, and if if I don't have access to a pin, if I don't have one with me, it distresses me. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I have, I will, you know, as lazy as I'm feeling after a hard day or whatever, that's one thing that'll get me up off the couch is like, I don't have to, I gotta go grab one mm-hmm. so I can flip while I'm watching TV. Yeah, but or, I, I mean, I've seen firsthand like people who you know, have been close to us. So just like, stop. Would you stop that, please? Yeah. And you know, that's so annoying. And 
You know, it's like for me, I know that that's Captions on the TV. your, <laughs> yeah, that's your coping mechanism. That's how you externalize that energy. For me, it's the leg bouncing or the nail biting or the skin picking or, you know, whatever it is, that's your thing. But I've definitely seen firsthand how people become annoyed by those things because they think that they're rude. Well, and it's valid. I mean, going back to school, if you're trying to teach a, a class of kids and one of them's doing something like flipping something around or whatever, even if it's not making a noise, it's visually distracting. And I, I get mm-hmm. that. And even sitting next to me on the couch watching a movie, I'm sure you at this point, it's so completely not on your radar. It doesn't, it's not something that you even hardly notice anymore. But I could understand how it could be annoying to someone. Yeah, I've kind of learned to tune it out. I think that most things you can get used to. Sometimes the noise of it does become a little bit bothersome. But like, again, I know that my leg bouncing and constantly having an earthquake in our house, (laughs) that's just my thing. So you just learn to accept it. And it's just part of life. It's just another one of our weird little marriage eccentricities. I had another one on here. I feel a little bit bad because some of these questions I don't always feel like I have good answers to. What kind of advice would you give to people who have ADHD or have been recently diagnosed? Well, speaking as a hypocrite because I'm currently untreated uh, and not currently under the care of a doctor and so on, I definitely think that's really important. (laughs) It's something that can help. It's hard to do, but just making that call is important and just sticking with it because as frustrating as it can be, and that's a lot of both of our stories, getting access to it is important. And I'll say that to myself as a challenge to it's midnight right now, so I can't do anything about it right now. (laughs) And it's a Friday, so I can have all the intention right now of, yeah, I'm going to make that call myself. Maybe this will be a bit of accountability because we're going to record another episode before next week is over. So maybe that'll give me a little motivation. Honestly, deadline motivation, maybe that's another piece of advice or just another, another thing that I am absolutely identifying in myself. Deadline motivation is super duper real. Even going back to school and doing things at the last minute or writing papers the night before they're due. I've got something that I need to do for you for the photography business that we're having a wedding show on Sunday. I've got stuff that I need to do for that. It's Friday night and I haven't started on it yet, but I know I'm going to make it happen tomorrow because I have to. So maybe advice wise, give yourself deadlines, give yourself, even if they're artificial or even if they're made up, that can be useful, especially if someone else is relying on you for it, or at the very least, someone else is willing to check with you on that. That can be hard to put yourself into or commit to, but that might be a useful thing. I definitely believe that medication can be a really important part of treatment for folks. I know that there are different opinions about that, but I think that medicating diseases and disorders and difficulties that you have, it's an important part of being healthy. And so I think that's important. Um, I'm all for therapy. I haven't done much of it myself. (laughs) I want to. That's been one thing that has, especially over the last several years, I've, I I didn't grow up in a household where therapy or mental health or anything like that was denigrated. Like I know a lot of people have it, have that experience, but my parents didn't have me in therapy or anything like that. And not that I necessarily felt like that was something that I should have been having and I just wasn't allowed to have access to. But I know just anecdotally from a bunch of people who have ADHD and other mental health things, they say 
how valuable therapy is to them. Even maintenance therapy, you know, not necessarily just waiting for a crisis to happen to go and get some help, but just a regular weekly or however often it works for you. You've got a place to go process those things. So that's another thing that I think that I would benefit from. Mm -hmm. And again, as I kind of alluded to on the last show and, and earlier, that's something that I can be talking about as we continue recording this show as I kind of go a little further into that process. I'll say for myself, just from the perspective of somebody who's obviously very different from you in a lot of ways, including gender, that for me, one of the biggest things has been connecting with other people who are like me and not feeling so alien anymore. Because even though we live in a household where both of us are neurodivergent, it's different when somebody's symptoms present so differently than yours. And especially with ADHD and the difference between men and women and and how they present can be very significant, which is why so many women are not diagnosed, why there's so little research is just because of the way that it presents. And so really just building our community on social and hearing so many people's stories and hearing how, you know, it's like my whole thing is kind of just I'm putting myself out there and I'm showing, you know, these things and these struggles. But I'm also doing that knowing that I'm spreading awareness, but I'm also reminding myself that what I have always seen as a flaw in myself, it's not a flaw. It's the way that I am. And it's the way that my brain is wired. It is not that these things were always wrong with me or that these other people didn't exist. It was just, you know, there's so much shame and stigma attached to those these symptoms and these behaviors being perceived as character flaws. And so when you put it out there and you say, hey, listen, you know, this is something that I'm struggling with. And you have everybody else saying, me too. The people who find you there are the people who are looking for that community and that support. And I've had so many people who have reached out to me personally and like, thank you for talking about this. Thank you. Like, this is something I've struggled with and I've never understood or I always felt weird or othered or I'm battling this too. And being able to connect with people on that level and just say, we're in this together. We're going to get through it together. It's okay. And so that for me has been really important. And also, you know, the education aspect, like that's how I kind of cope is by, you know, delving in and and researching everything that I possibly can. And, you know, that gets a little rabbit holey at times, but really understanding it from an intellectual level as well is helpful to help people who don't understand it, understand it better. Yeah. I'll say for me, the right now, finding that connection is really difficult for me. Moving from a very small community with a, a really good, intense sense of community, we made very close relationships during our literally our first few weeks in Cordova when we moved there. Shout out to Cordova, Alaska. This is the beautiful small fishing town that we have spent the last several years in. We love you guys so much. Yeah, it's a really special place. I guess, side note for a second with affecting relationships, since leaving Cordova in the beginning of November 2022, I have barely posted on social media. I haven't been really staying in touch with a lot of those people, which is really sad to me because they're really important to me. 
me and really special to me, but I just haven't had the bandwidth. So just shout out to you guys. Now here, it's hard to meet people. I think for me, especially I'm at a, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because for my entire life, it's always been easier for me to make relationships with females. So women, girls, whatever age I am at the time, those have been some of my better connections friend wise. And the older I get, the harder that is because people our age are not necessarily looking to make friendships across gender lines. And, well, and also, you're also a very emotional, emotionally connecting person. So you're yeah, not you're do, not a guy's guy. No, I'm in not. The traditional I never sense. have been and, and I don't ever expect Without, to be. Without, you know, gender stereotyping, everybody's different, but that's just where you're. And also since 2017, you know, our second child, first adoption, uh, when I did go full-time primary caregiver where we were living at the time, that was a, a fairly comfortable thing to do. We already were established in the community and, and so going to talk groups and things like that. I was comfortable there. People were comfortable with me and so those can be social interactions for me as well as the kids here it's harder and i still haven't figured out a way to make friends or make connections with anybody yet so far it's hard to do that it's definitely kind of a lonely feeling i'm not again another situation where i'm like i don't know how to fix that i'm not really sure what to do about that but that's kind of where i'm at yeah that's why we're building our own community right well i <laughs> Yes and no, because I even in this podcast, even in everything Ready, Set, Squirrel, it is a female focused thing. And I applaud that. I think that's really important. I think that's really special. It is you are leading this. I'm a guest here. And so the community that you're building, it's not for me is how I feel. And, you know, I'm a guest. I'm an observer. I'm part of it because we're a partnership. We're doing this together, but it's definitely your thing. And the community that's being built is being built by women for women. That's important. So, you know, I don't want to, oh, you know, oh, poor me. I'm a man being left out of something, but it's not my community. It's, it's how I feel. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's a bad attitude. Maybe that's a not a great way to look at it. That's just sort of how it feels to me. So I don't have that kind of connection that you're describing that even in these these early stages that you're having a lot of really great connections on social because of this venture that I'm still outside of. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I totally get that. That does make sense. It is women centric, but I do want to always throw in the disclaimer that while it is woman focused, that is because I am kind of heading it and because I am a woman. And so this is what I have experience in. This is what I can speak to knowledgeably. This is what I can speak to myself. Like if, if you... And it's also what you need. It's also very important to you. Yeah. And I think it, there's a lot of benefit there. But I do think that there is benefit to everyone being there. Like I, I want everybody regardless of gender i i want lgbtq community to feel welcome i want you're men definitely to it's feel definitely welcome. inclusive you're not I want saying non-binary people to feel welcome like i right. want everyone to feel welcome and loved and supported in that community it's just the education and the things that i'm experiencing are coming from my perspective sure. so that's just kind of a, a different thing and you know and maybe you know that's something we can focus on more is incorporating the other perspective of mm -hmm. it in there too because you know this is just starting out and we're just 
we're figuring things out and we're learning along with the rest of you. So I'm, I'm sure it's a living, breathing organism. And I'm sure over time it will evolve. And, and to be clear, I'm not advocating for a change to the focus. No, no, no. I didn't take it that audience. way at all. It's just kind of the, the nature of it. And yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that. And it's a different experience. And that's always too been where I connect best with people. That is always where I have been able to feel the most myself is unfortunately behind a screen. And I, I think that's just because of the the lifelong conditioning of masking. Like there's a level of comfort that comes Safety. from being behind a screen. Like I don't have to worry about my stims. I don't have to worry about impulsively cutting somebody off. I don't have to worry about appearing awkward or uncomfortable or, or whatever. It's like I can just be me mm-hmm. like we talked about before it's like if you're on my page and you don't have something nice to say to me that's fine like you're in my house you know this yeah. is this is my house and if you want to come on in here and, and be a jerk I don't have to put up with that yeah absolutely no qualms about yeah that band yeah hammer. but if you're out in public and you're in certain social situations it's like there's still that element of being aware of everything that's going on around you mm-hmm. and aware of the way that you're being perceived. Am I being rude? Am I, you know, doing all of these things? And so that's definitely like work that I need to do on myself to kind of be more comfortable with myself in in-person situations because there's just a totally different dynamic. When somebody is reaching out to you because they want to connect, that is a very different feeling than it's like, yes, yes, I am 100% putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. I'm being ridiculous. I'm being 100% percent me if people don't like that they can scroll right past it fear of rejection is definitely a big thing for a lot of people in general when you're building something like this and you're putting stuff out there sure there's always a possibility that you'll get some negative feedback but like you said it's your situation and it's easier for you to control you can block you can ignore you can whatever but if someone is reaching out to you positively that conversation starts in a way that makes you feel safe yeah there's already the this fear is of a rejection safe person to be myself with yeah the fear of rejection already... is not a, a factor because their the relationship begins with acceptance and, and it makes it easier every time because i will yeah. say that like you know this started out as even kind of a little bit of a, a personal project for me with the goal of of putting myself out there and being authentic. You know, I I am a weird, goofy person. And that's something that I've hidden from a lot of people my whole life. I've always been a theater person. I've always been involved in theater. And I had never understood until now why I could be on stage. I could be in a musical. I can sing in front of people. I can dance in front of people. I can perform. But you asked me to get on stage and be me and I would go into a full-on panic. And that's because it was like, okay, I can put on this mask. That is very comfortable for me to imitate or to perform or to give people what they want. Mm -hmm. I am an expert at that. What I am not an expert on is being truly me in a vulnerable vulnerable way and showing people my flaws in a way that is very out there and very in your face. ridiculous and I know that not all of the feedback will be good but again you're in my house now so <laughs> it's like if you're if you're here and you're you're engaging I know that like okay you, you at least have some sort of concept of yeah. who I am at this point and I was petrified 
to post that first reel. Absolutely petrified Mm -hmm. of the judgment or the feedback. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And every single time I do it, because I get these crazy ideas and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this. And then every time right before you go post, you just, you have that little moment of mm-hmm. like oh gosh is it gonna land and I've kind of gotten past that in a way and mm-hmm. and it's fun for me and it's an activity for me and it's a way for me to connect and to be vulnerable and to again make somebody else feel a little bit less weird and or a little bit less alone in their weirdness yep. and it's yeah it's a really good self-discovery project it's a symbiotic relationship you guys are all the little birds on breeze rhino back eating the bugs cool uh-huh. so that's me that's a little bit uh of where i've been where i am obviously we've talked about some things that i some places that i can go and i'll keep you guys up to date on that but that's me yeah well thanks for sharing uh so as we're wrapping up you're listening to us on a podcast player use that podcast <laughs> player to give us five stars leave a comment that is a gift to us from you because those kinds of things are the biggest signals to the podcasting platforms that more people should be hearing what we have to say. And so for bringing value to you right now, we don't have any donation or subscription things set up. So we're not going to ask you for money right now. We're not going to ask you to buy us a coffee, but we are going to ask you for a rating. (laughs) We're Ready, Set, Squirrel. I'm Brian. And I'm Bree. And we love you lots. So hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.